Father, we pray that on this Palm Sunday that we would hear a word for you, a very timely word for each one of us. Lord, you have the ability to speak through a man or a woman in such a way that you can just take those words and pierce hearts and change lives. And we're asking you to do that miracle again this morning, Lord. Lord, I yield myself to you and ask you to overcome everything in me and about me that would hinder your word from going forth. And prepare our hearts to receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever known anyone who once walked with Christ, was committed to Christ, and now they no longer walk with him at all? Have you ever wondered what happened to them? What happened that they were one time very passionate in love with Christ, And now they seem to have settled for just ignoring him and living for themselves. And what caused them to kind of drift away? Well, that happened to a young man by the name of Demas. And we hear his story at the end of 2 Timothy in chapter 4. Now, this morning we're going to complete our series on 2 Timothy And I'm also going to talk some about Palm Sunday because they actually have something in common. As we come to the end of Paul's last epistle, 2 Timothy, to his companion, closest companion, his son in the faith, Timothy, Paul shares some very personal concerns. And the one that's always struck me is what he says in verse 9 and 10 of 2 Timothy 4. He says this to Timothy. He says, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I mean, apparently there was a time that Demas really loved Jesus and really walked with Jesus and was obviously on mission with Jesus. But then something caused him to drift away from that. He drifted away from love for Jesus. He drifted away away from mission. He came to a place where he was willing to ignore Jesus and rather pursue pleasure and comfort. Now, how do we know that Demas started out well? Well, let's look at Philemon. We know the Apostle Paul tended to end his epistles, his letters, with some personal notes, some personal greetings. He ends this one chapter epistle to Philemon in verse 23. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. I mean, wow, what, think about the company here that Demas is in. This is some pretty serious company. He's in company with Mark, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. And, you know, Epaphras and Aristarchus. But just think about this kind of company he's in. He's in with Paul and Luke and Mark and Demas. This is the company. This, he's traveling with them. And he's called a fellow worker. That means he ministered with Paul. 
Think about that. Didn't just know the Apostle Paul. He ministered with the Apostle Paul. He prayed with the Apostle Paul. This is what Demas, this is how his beginnings were. And so we're not talking about somebody who just came to church on Sundays and, you know, is not really passionate or interested. We're talking about somebody who was given it all for the kingdom. They were on point. He was a co-laborer of the Apostle Paul, Luke, and Mark. That's Demas. But something happened to him. Because the next time we hear Demas' name mentioned, it's different. We get to the end of the letter, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Again, Paul is doing his greetings as he normally does, but he has a rather longer list than usual here as he ends the letter to the Colossians. He says this, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, Tychicus, listen to this, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord. Verse 9, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Verse 12, Epaphras, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And also, Demas. I mean, everyone Paul mentions has something positive, he has something positive to say, and then he gets to Demas and he says nothing at all. You ever been in a group conversation with, and, and someone's name is brought up and everybody gets quiet? Everybody starts to look to the ground because there's nothing really positive to say at that point about that person. Well, at this point, Paul is silent about Demas. See, I think Paul knows that Demas is already drifting at this point. And then we get to Paul's very last epistle. Now we're going to jump forward five years. Five years when he writes 2 Timothy. Five years later, here's what he writes. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So something happened in Demas' life where love for the world won out over love for Jesus. But my question is, how did he get to that place? I mean, what was the process If we can figure out that process, we can make sure to avoid it ourselves. Because Demas, he didn't just wake up one day. He didn't go to bed passion for Jesus and wake up saying, I'm forget Jesus, I'm going after the world. It didn't happen like that. This process is more like a slow leak than it is a blowout. It's a drift. So how does someone come to a place of loving Jesus, being on mission, being on point, and drifting the place where all you want to do is live for yourself and love, love the world. Well, that's where I think Palm Sunday can help our understanding. So I want to review a little bit about what happened on that day, Palm Sunday. I want to review by watching just a, a brief clip of the movie Jesus of Nazareth, which really captures, I think, the pieces of that day. I want us to really notice here when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to begin the week 
in which just days later he will be crucified. So let's watch this and notice what happens. Jesus of Nazareth. He's a prophet, a great prophet. A prophet? On a donkey? Kind of a, not the Jesus most people think about, is he? 
You know, it was, what was going on here is this. It was common at that time in history, if a visiting dignitary came to an ancient city, that was supposed to happen were several things I just want to point out. First of all, you're supposed to be greeted outside the city with the leaders of the city and the whole city, and they were to greet him with, and they were to wear ornamental clothing like white robes and such, and they're also, they do palm branches, and, but then they were supposed to really kind of almost like give him the keys of the city. They were to laud him with speeches. They were to express their great privilege of having someone like that come and visit their city. And finally, the leaders were then, would then escort this visiting dignitary to a local temple. But in the case of Jesus, he was not met by the city officials, nor was he escorted back to the city by them. His encounter with the Pharisees as he enters the city was an all-out rejection. The non-appearance of the high priest and other officials and the citizens of Jerusalem was an affront. And Jesus did not get escorted to the temple like a dignitary is supposed to do, so he goes anyway. And what does he see? Instead of seeing his father's house being a house of prayer, he sees something quite different. Something that he could not tolerate. And he cleanses the temple. Now here's the question that we ought to ask ourselves. What was so bad about what was going on in the temple to see Jesus behave like this? I mean, the money changers, of course, were there doing a service for the worshipers. People had journeyed to the temple from many different lands and Temple dues had to be paid in Tyrian coinage. So what happened is they slowly developed a convenient money exchange for the travelers from foreign countries. You think, well, is it okay for the money changers to make a profit doing their business? And you have to say, well, yes, that's okay. But were they dishonest? And if the answer to that is yes, they were dishonest. But is that that big a deal to Jesus? Think about this. Jesus was around, he was around dishonest people all the time. But he never acted like that. See, the key here is not only what is taking place, it is where it is taking place. The sin was taking place where God dwells. And they were polluting the house of God. And this apparently was the most flagrant evil that Jesus encountered in his entire ministry. Jesus will not tolerate sin where God dwells. Not then and not now. So where does God dwell now? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you... If you're a believer in Christ, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, three chapters later. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? So if you know Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of your life, then God has taken up residence in you. So you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is. 
But here's the truth, and this, Jesus feels about sin in your life the same way he felt about sin in the temple. Now, the people there back then had a choice. They could have cleansed the temple themselves. They could have cleaned things up themselves, but they didn't. So Jesus cleaned it up for them. And our Bibles say Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever, right? And Jesus still wants a clean house. Now, we can clean house ourselves by repenting and turning away from known sin and confessing it before God for forgiveness, or we can just continue in it. Now, if we choose to do that, if we choose to continue in it, no matter how much we've rationalized it and justified it, if we choose to continue in it, and God does indeed indwell you, then we, you need to know that Jesus will not let you continue living like that without dealing with it. He will deal with it. And you know what? What I've discovered is over the years, if I thought about this passage, is Jesus in dealing with it, will not be the least bit embarrassed about causing a scene when he does it. I mean, the Lord is more concerned about God's house being clean than he is concerned about what those who are watching might think about it. I mean, think about all the evangelists and pastors and religious leaders that have been exposed for their hypocrisy and their secret lives. And, and I just, and when it happens, I think, Lord, it's so embarrassing for the church. So embarrassing. But you know what I've come to learn? God would rather endure the embarrassment of his church and its leaders than live in a dirty house. So if we won't clean house, and he will. And he doesn't mind making a stir in the process. He demands a clean house. And it's important to understand, too, that this actually, on Palm Sunday, this is actually the second time Jesus cleansed the temple. If you read in John chapter 2, Jesus cleansed the temple then early in his ministry. And I kind of wonder, how long did that cleansing last? You ever wonder? Before they went back to business as usual. I suspect, based on what we know about the Pharisees and their attitude, that it didn't stay that way long before they went right back to business as usual. By the way, that ever happened to you? You ever <clears throat> really got convicted and really became repentant and confessed sin and really cleaned house yourself? And then it wasn't very long after that, you went right back to where it was, business as usual. Well, it still matters to Jesus that the temple is clean. It mattered then and it matters today. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't really have anything <clears throat> big to repent from, to confess as sin. I live a pretty moral, upright life. And by the way, those in the temple that, at that time of that cleansing thought the same way. If you had interviewed them before Jesus started tearing the place up, they would have thought they live a pretty moral life. Because they'd already began to rationalize certain attitudes and actions were okay. They'd already began to justify it. So everything they're doing, I mean, it was not that big a deal in their mind. Because they didn't think it was that big a deal with God. So they, you know, allowed those kind of things to go unchecked. 
began to accept certain sins, that's not that big a deal. I mean, let's not get legalistic about this. That kind of thought. And I think it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to allow certain sins to kind of go unchecked in our lives, certain attitudes, certain habits, certain patterns, certain actions. They're just little sins, you know, just little sins. Little habits, little critical spirit, just a little lust, I mean, a little pride, a little bad attitude. We allow, when we allow sin to pollute God's house, we need to understand how the Lord thinks about that. See, I believe this is what happened to Demas. This is why I want to tie the two together, because I believe that it started, somehow it started with some small compromises. It had to. It always does. It started with small compromises. And maybe it was just a little bit of, of lust and pride and greed. A little bit. But he allowed it to go unchecked. He didn't repent from it. He didn't confess it. And in the process, his heart just grew colder and harder. So, in this, as we begin Holy, Holy Week, where are you? Are you allowing sin to pollute God's house? I want us to read Mark chapter 7, verse 23, you know, because most Christians don't mind much of a, don't have much trouble with a preacher speaking about sin till he says what that sin is. Well, Mark 7, verse 20 through 23, Jesus, the greatest preacher, says what it is. Mark 7, 20, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So, by the way, if you're allowing any of those sins to go unchecked, unrepented from, unconfessed, then you need to understand they are defiling you. Something is happening. You're not just hanging status quo. There is a defiling happening. There is a hardening. There is a coldness that will only grow if you don't deal with it. So Jesus says, let's just walk through these. Evil thoughts. Do you have evil thoughts toward your boss? Do you have evil thoughts toward another employee, toward your spouse, toward that friend that betrayed you? If so, then you need to repent, confess it openly before God as sin with a commitment that you're not going to do it again. There's a resolve. Lord, I don't, do, I don't want to do that again. Help me. How about fornications and adulteries? Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So are you lusting for someone? Let me put it this way. Are affections intended only for your spouse being directed to someone else? 
If so, you need to repent and confess it as sin. How about theft? He's talking about thefts. Are you stealing at work? Well, I mean, everybody does it. Are you robbing God with your tithes? Those are God's words, by the way. He calls those who don't tithe the robbers of God. How about murders? Is there anyone, let's put it this, is there anyone that you just wish they were dead? You just wish they were dead. Coveting. Do you cover another's, another's abilities or position? Do you covet another's job or ministry? Do you covet another's spouse or children? How about deceit? Do you mislead? Do you tell just enough truth to produce a false impression? Do you exaggerate? Do you try to present an image of yourself that's just not true? Slander. Are you slandering anyone? Is there someone that you, you actually love to speak ill of them? Are you passing on gossip? Are you tearing down another person with your speech? Pride. Are you more concerned about what others think about you than what God thinks about you? See, all those things, Jesus says, those sins, those kind of sins, defile, defile us. And those things stir Jesus up more than anything else, not just because of, of what they are, but because of where they're happening. They're happening in here, in the temple of God. So what must our response be? Well, we can clean house. We should clean house. Repent from those compromises that we've allowed in our lives, confess our sins to God. Here's what 1 John 1, 9 says. I don't know if, if this is not one of your top favorite verses. It should be. It's one of mine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, listen to this, from all unrighteousness. I love it that he says it that way. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sins to God, being cleansed from all unrighteousness means I, if I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness, that stops the drift. Right? If I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness, the drift has stopped. Demas was drifting. That means that we can know that Demas was refusing to repent and confess his sins to God that he might be cleansed from all unrighteousness. He didn't confess them. He, he rationalized them. He had to. Now, I, I do believe that there, are, there are other factors in Demas' life, no doubt. But I'm confident of this. That in order for him to have drifted so far, that somewhere along the line, he stopped taking sin seriously. Somewhere he stopped confessing it, repenting from it. Somewhere. Somewhere he came to a place where that's not that big a deal, that's sin. It's just not that big a deal. That one and that one. Everybody does it. But that mentality is the beginning of, a, of the death of your spiritual life. It will kill you spiritually. So it starts with no longer repenting, no longer confessing sin, and then it builds. And it builds. And your heart grows colder and harder. And you drift further and further until Thessalonica is around the corner. 
I tell you, as a college student, I'm so grateful for the professor at my university that discipled me, godly man. He taught me the importance of confessing sin. And I told him one time, I said, you know, I can't go five minutes without confessing sin if I do what you say. He says, then do it for every five minutes. And I did. And I'm telling you, I, I was growing leaps and bounds. And then there's times as a pastor, I've been pastoring 38 years, there's times as a pastor where I just kind of accepted certain attitudes. And I didn't grow leaps and bounds anymore. And I don't want to be there to you. Confess it right away. It's very dangerous when you're in that place. When you're in that place and you think you've kind of graduated spiritually out of needing to do that, you are deceived. We do not graduate out of confessing sin right away. Get cleansed right away from all unrighteousness right away. Stay clean. You know, spiritual breathing, I've, I've referred to this. This is something Dr. Bill Bright, wonderful man of God in heaven now, had a great impact on my life. He just taught a simple little principle to remember. He called it spiritual breathing. That is, exhale, confess your sin. And inhale, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up again. What a great little simple reminder. Spiritually breathing. Keep doing that on a regular basis. And here's why I think this is such an important message is we want to enter Holy Week, heading up to the you know, Good Friday and you know, Resurrection Sunday. We want to head into this time clean. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to take our time to do this, not rush. But I just, I went through Jesus's list. These were Jesus's list of what defiles a man or a woman. And we're going to go ahead and, uh, and just have a time of asking him to speak into our hearts. And should there be something you need to confess, and, and we're not making everyone have to do this, but it's helpful to do this. There's pieces of paper on the communion tables and pens if you don't have one. Take that blank piece of paper and don't put your name on it. But just if the Lord spoke to you about a certain sin, just write it out. Just write it out. You know, deceit. I've just been deceptive. Whatever it is, write it out. And when, it, when you're done with that, just write 1 John 1 9 over it. And go ahead and put 1 John 1 9 back up on the screen for a moment, if you would. But put, just write 1 John 1 9 over it, the whole verse, and then wad it up and throw it in the trash can. The trash can's around the room, just throw it in there. Because I want us to enter into this Holy Week with just really confessing sin, but also surrendering afresh. And the song that's going to be played, you can sing along, is that fresh a surrender. I'm surrender. I surrender. And so let's all stand for a moment. And then you can, it's a little easier to move around the room once you're standing, if you want to get a paper and a pen. And just, again, don't put your name on it. No one's going to dig it up and see what your sin was. And then just... Throw it away. And let's just, let's just really do some house cleaning today. Father, we ask you to help us with this in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. You're the one who brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, you show us our sin. We, confess, we want to confess it to you. Lord, we want to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Especially this week, Lord, as we enter this holy week remembering all you did for us on the cross and the victory of the resurrection, victory confirmed of the resurrection. Lord, so we just ask for that. Speak into our hearts now. 
And Lord, also, we just want this to be a time of fresh surrender to you, giving you our all. In Jesus' name. So just as we're singing, feel free to move around the room, grab those pieces of paper, just do business with God. be afraid to move around the room and go to these communion tables, grab that paper and just really, really do some, 
some deep introspection. I really encourage you. Sometimes it really helps us to move around. It helps us to write it out and to do it. And some of you think, well, I'm doing it in my head, but I really encourage you to move around the room, grab those pieces of paper, Lord, and really just do business with God. Lord, I pray, Lord, nobody could miss out on this, this opportunity, Lord, to really do business with you, Lord. So I, again, search hearts, Lord, and draw people now to yourself in Jesus' name. Let's just keep singing this and let's just keep doing business. Move around the room, guys. Grab these papers and let's do this. Today, as we close, if you're, if you're physically able, let me just ask you to just uh, join me on your knees, if you will. Let's just kneel before the Lord. You know, these postures help us. Bended knee helps us have a bended heart. And we just bow before you, Lord. We surrender new and fresh to you today. And we ask you to, to have your way as we've been singing, Lord. We do confess these sins to you, Lord. Many have been whispered and have been written, but we confess and we thank you. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who's drifting today, do you stop the drift? Anyone drifting today, stop the drift, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, we thank you that you're glad to do that. And Lord, we pray that we would just be mindful of you this week in walking in holiness and in love for Jesus and on point and staying on point, on mission. And we pray, Lord, this week as we, it's very likely that there's going to be more people in your shot of the name of Jesus than ever, in, ever before in history. This weekend, Lord, we pray, Lord, would you pull the net in. Pull in the nets, Lord. Lord, bring about that big harvest. And Lord, we just ask that you would speed things up on the earth, Jesus, that you might be able to come in our lifetime. 
the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So we commit ourselves to you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this great time of remembering all that you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. And we're going to have some people up front. We're glad to pray for you, some leaders. Also, we have Connection Coffee in the corner. If you're new here and have questions for our staff, we'd love to answer them. Have a great day and a great week.